Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Today, we're going to learn a lot about Gen Z from Aria Finger, who is the CEO of DoSomething.org. She's also the president of Do Something Strategic. We're going to unlearn things that we thought we knew about Gen Z. Yeah, they've advocated and they've been activists, but only 30% of that cohort. Indeed, 60% have volunteered in a variety of ways. And one campaign is not what really excites them. They want to get involved in many, many different types of actions. It takes a lot more to earn their loyalty. So start from a place of service and know that they are very diverse. I always like to start with the numbers. So let's just pull the curtain back on DoSomething.org. They were founded in 1993. They are the largest nonprofit exclusively for young people and social change. Not only are they in every single state in the United States, but they're also in 131 countries. They have over 5 million members and they truly want to get engaged. So now I'd like to open our conversation with Aria Finger. Welcome, Aria. Thanks. Great to be here. We we are thrilled to have Aria because her entire career has been at Do Something. And so uh, we want to find out a little bit about her secrets to why did she stay and how did she move up through the organization. What we're going to cover today is truly Gen Z. And maybe we'll get some insights into the next generation because Do Something has more than 5 million members the organization creates massive initiatives that activates young people around a specific cause. Each of their campaigns starts with a problem, then has a solution, a call to action, and gives young people everything they need to be full agents of change in their own communities. I love that. And so, Aria, let's get into it. How did you start at Do Something? And, you know, way back when, 14 years ago, what did you think about the organization and its and its mission? So I started at Do Something just like any other bright and eager uh, 22-year-old uh, who had just graduated from college and desperately needed a paycheck so they could move out of their parents' house. Um, I had been an economics major in college, and I wanted to go into the nonprofit world because I was a little stubborn and I wanted to sort of prove that 
nonprofits could be efficient and effective and market driven. Um, and so I, I, I spammed every nonprofit in New York City, uh, <laughs> diligently checking the idealist.org job listings, as any good nonprofiteer does. Thanks, Amidar, the founder. Um, and I came across this job at Do Something. I had never heard of the organization. But what excited me was that one, they had sort of a cheeky and fun attitude. Social change did not have to be boring. And also they covered every issue. So everything I cared about, homelessness, poverty, inequality, cancer, mental health, discrimination, you name it, they covered. And so I, um, they hilariously asked me to fax in, this is true, a PowerPoint <laughs> presentation for how, okay. why I should be hired. Um, and I did, and I was lucky enough to, dr- to join a, a tiny six-person purpose-driven team. That, that's amazing. And you started as an associate. You then moved up to biz dev. Then you were the CMO, then the COO, and now CEO. And the great thing is that, you know, you spent three years, five years in those positions. So you really got a lot of traction. Um, I would be remiss not to give our listeners a little bit more about your breath because you are the largest not-for-profit exclusively for young people and social change around the globe. You're across every single state in the U.S. and you're in 131 countries. Uh, You were founded, as you said, some years ago, 1993. And then here's the fun fact. Area I is six feet tall, and whenever we're together, it's the funniest picture in the world because I'm five feet tall. <laughs> so now, Chris, I got to turn it over to you because I got to get serious again. Well, it's it's hard work to get you both in the picture. It's really the trick. Ah, that's funny, the, funny. That's the hard thing. The the one thing I love about do something. So we, uh, we've we've done some projects with them at Matchfire, and some of our brands have uh, worked with do something. And it, it's not just that they're engaging an audience that brands covet and is necessary. It's that the way they engage that audience is by driving them to do good and take action. And they do it, again, I already said it, but around a range of issues to make the issue fun, make the connection point fun, and then make the action that they take meaningful. So it's it's really worthwhile to put folks for that exercise. If you have uh, if you have a Gen Z in the house, you should send them to do something.org because there's, there's a lot of good activity there. So we already talked a little bit about how the platform works and, and the role they've, that you all have played in engaging young people, but uh, really it's a movement. So why is that important? Why is a youth-led movement important to this generation? And how does that attach between advocacy and leadership for young people today? So I think that young people, and really all people, uh, have always been excited about social change. Uh, The society's constraints just let them be more or less uh, impactful or vocal. And now with the rise of social media and and disaggregated media, the, the voices of the people, for better or worse, are able to get out there. And so this generation sees that they can have a power to make change, um, and they want to. And so for so long, we had, you know, everywhere this idea that some people were the helpers and some people are, are were the sort of receivers of aid. And there's this beautiful quote from Carol Stern, uh, who was at UNICEF, and she said, she was talking to like a 12-year-old boy, and he said, I used to be a get. I used to get things nice. from people, and now I'm a give. And that is the heart of it. It's like you, anyone should be able to be a give. Any young person, no matter their income, their race, their geography, their sexual orientation, 
should be able to feel the power that you can feel from helping others, advocating for yourself, and truly believing in that agency. And so that's why it's important that it's youth-led because we can help them and facilitate them and do all those things, but ultimately we should hand over the tools to the young people. I'd love to have you just go back a second and tell us how the platform works. And I know in the beginning you had periods where you had some key social issue campaigns, but now you've got tons of them. So share this with our listeners. Sure. So right from the start, back in 1993, when we were founded, it was all about the power of young people to make change. How do we make sort of community service uh, as cool and as regular as after school sports. And the mission hasn't changed. We are still all about the power of young people and how do we get them to volunteer and be civic, um, to be civically engaged. The just tools of how we do it have changed uh, because now we are, as you said, we are a platform. And so the way it works is that we have over 300 campaigns live on our website, again, on every cause that young people care about. And then they raise their hand and opt in to take action on that issue. Uh, And then hopefully we feed them more and more campaigns if they did a global warming campaign. It's like, let's give them another campaign that's on sustainability. If they decided they wanted to create cards as their activity, let's give them something else that's hands-on and creative. So how can we serve up young people, the sort of causes and campaigns and actions that they're most likely to be well-suited to do? And and what's your, what's your favorite right now? Mm. One or two campaigns? Oh, Choosing between my favorite children. All right, children. give us a list. <laughs> I, uh, no, no, no. Um, the one campaign that we're, we have running right now, which I think is really meaningful, is a campaign called Mental Note. Um, and we're doing this in conjunction with uh, Harry's. And the whole point of this campaign is to target uh, men with the idea that mental health doesn't have to be a deficit, doesn't have to be something you're shy to talk about, um, should be something that everyone is talking about and getting sort of the help and um, communication that they need around it because I think so often uh, mental health is stigmatized um, and it's especially hard for for men to discuss or male identifying folks. And so I love this idea that we are destigmatizing something and also giving people a way to reach out to their friends and family um, and make sure they're okay. So that is one of the campaigns that I love right now. Um, but the other that I have to mention is is a throwback that we've actually been running for nine years, um, and it was a campaign that I I, I founded. I was on the founding team, um, and it's called Teens for Jeans, and it's all about collecting jeans for homeless young people throughout the United States. And the reason it's so critical is because sometimes homelessness isn't sort of as quote unquote buzzy as other issues, as gun violence prevention or climate change or whatever it might be. But once you hear that a third of all homeless people in the United States are under the age of 18, you think like, how, how can we not be helping these children? Um, and so really excited for, for the youth of this country to step up, provide genes for kids who are experiencing homelessness and give them a route to, um, you know, feeling just like a normal kid. Now, you've had a partner. You had Aeropostale um, for a while. Are they still a partner or do you have others for that campaign? Uh, yes, Aeropostale is the longtime partner of this campaign. They've been truly amazing. And not only are they sponsoring the campaign, but if you pass an Aeropostale store, I mean, their marketing, their digital footprint, their windows, their bags, like everything they're doing talks about the campaign, which I think is the way that, you know, a social change campaign should be done now. It shouldn't just be writing a check. It should be how do we integrate this fully into all of our marketing marketing so we can provide our tangible and intangible assets to the cause. And and how do you help them to keep that fresh? Considering young people want the latest, the greatest, you know, what's going to inspire me today? 
Yeah, I think what's been really compelling about that campaign is that this has always been an issue that resonated with young people when we put the campaign right in front of them. But I think that candidly today versus 10 years ago, we were just a lot more intersectional in our thinking. And so when we talk about homelessness now, we talk about the unique effects it has on the LGBTQ community um, and how it affects people of color differentially and how we can support sort of the communities that are the most marginalized. Um, and I don't think we were talking about that 10 years ago. I mean, we should have been, but we weren't. And so, uh, ensuring that we're talking about uh, everything in an intersectional light. I think that for our listeners, that's a really, really important point because you don't have to switch a social issue. You can go deeper into it and could explore segmentations of it. So kudos to you. I think the lesson there is, you know, s- start and and don't hold back from starting, but be open to moving it along as you go and, and kind of keeping with the times. And, and kind of to that light, you know, if you look at the core social issues that you focus on through do something, education, mental health, homelessness, as you just mentioned, poverty, environment, bullying, et cetera. Um, which are the most important issues for Gen Z today? So it's that same thing, right? If you're going to, you're going to start something tomorrow, how do you embrace what you're going to start? How do you decide what to work on uh, based on the population that you serve? And then where do you see the most engagement or conversation just as a practical matter? Yeah. So I do think that Listen, taking on a new issue every year, that's fantastic and that's exciting. Um, but I actually think do something our members and our, our partners get the most out of sticking with something for the long term. So I think that once you hit on something that resonates both within your company um, and also with the, the population you're serving, it's like you stick with it. And so it's interesting to think about what are the most important issues for Gen Z today because I can answer that in two different ways. One is the sort of obvious, if you poll Gen Z, what do they say? They say climate, gun violence, student debt, mental health. I'd say those are sort of the top four. Um, and that's true. That's correct. Those are absolutely the top four things that they're passionate about. If you ask the question a different way, what was the last thing that you took action on? You will get a very different set of causes. Um, but then the other thing I would say is that, of course, the cause matters and some causes are more important than others. But I actually think it's not actually the most important thing when it comes to a company choosing a cause, even a nonprofit. Um, the most important thing is running an authentic campaign that reaches young people in the way that they want to be reached. And you can, you can do it about any cause. You know, we, we ran a campaign on Islamophobia, which is not a top 10 cause for young people, but it was enormously successful because we feel like we put together a really solid campaign. So the way they want to be reached is what? Yeah, that, that's that's the question. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I like to say that whenever you're you're running a campaign or starting a campaign and you're thinking about your goals and you say, you know, we want Gen Z to do X, reframe. If instead you can say, we're going to solve Gen Z's pain points by X. Your campaign already became twice as successful. Of course, you have to hit your own goals too, but you're never going to hit your goals if you don't serve Gen Z first. They're not going to do something uh, or they will and it will just be hollow um, if you're not solving a pain point that they have. So I would start from a place of service. How can I serve this demographic? How can I solve their problems? How can I help them with their pain points? Um, and then the second thing I would say is like everyone, just recognize that they're diverse and no silver bullet will reach 
everyone who is a young person today. And so really figure out, you know, segment, figure out who you're actually trying to reach most deeply. And then you might be going out with a messaging that doesn't resonate with a certain segment of the population. And that's okay. And you need to accept that. That's super helpful. So and actually, let's 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 go deeper on kind of the engagement strategy then. So as you're as you're thinking through that, you've already talked about authenticity. You've already talked about uh, starting at a point of service. And you've already talked about using that lens for uh, for targeting a specific audience. What are the other things you, you'd recommend to brands uh, on top of those three as they're as they're trying to bring uh, Gen Z into play and trying to engage with them? And then maybe more is the point. What's the biggest myth about Gen Z that you'd like to debunk for the folks listening to us today? Sure. So I'll start with advice to corporates. And we hear so often brands saying either I'm doing all this stuff, but no one knows about it. Or it's like, I'm talking about it all the time, but I'm not getting the pickup that I want. One thing that we have seen is that 50% of Gen Z say that they are excited to and want to take action with brands. So you might think like, well, that's only half. It's like, yeah. That's 30 million young people who who say they want to raise their hands and take action with you. Try to think of a company that besides just telling you about their social change campaigns, actually gave you a way to take action with them. They're very few. You can, you know, count them on a, you know, a few fingers, count them on two hands. That's not the way that most brands engage with young people. Typically they're running a campaign and they're telling young people about it, or they're running a campaign, and and maybe they're having young people engage on a social level, but never in the real world. So it's, it's really even in the language, right? It's, it's, this is a campaign that targets young people, not this is a campaign that we're running alongside or with the cooperation of or in partnership. Yeah, we want you to join with us and do this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think once you do that, then Gen Z becomes a partner. And I and I also think the online off thing is is so critical. You ask about the biggest myth. The biggest myth is that the most successful campaigns are digital. And we see that's absolutely not the case. Our most successful campaigns are a combination of digital and on the ground. And through all of our research, when we ask young people, like, how do you want to raise your voice on social issues? It's like, well, face-to-face, at school, talking to my parents. It's like social media is like number six. So if you're not using IRL in real life tactics, you're probably not actually getting the engagement that you want. Okay, IRL. I don't know the acronym. In real life. In real life. Oh my God, I just learned something. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really late is usually how I use it, but that's... (laughs) And that's true. That's just me showing up to places. Well, so uh, I guess uh, the next kind of natural place to think about is uh, you already talked about kind of young people demanding companies and brands work with them. Do they demand that a brand take a particular stand or are they just looking for some kind of action and authentic commitment? So I don't think a brand has to take a stand on every issue. They would be exhausted. And if you actually look at uh, young people's actions, say like over the last year, uh, sort of activism and advocacy and attending protests is certainly on the rise, but still less than 30% of young people have engaged in one of those activities over the last year. Yet, if you look at volunteerism, you see 60% 
of young people have engaged in volunteerism, mostly on a monthly basis, but at least in the last year. So double the number of young people are engaging in volunteer actions versus advocacy actions. So what I think that signals to brands is you don't need to be on the bleeding edge of um, advocacy or a controversial issue to resonate with this demographic. But I do think that you need to be consistent, true to your brand, and you need to do this again and again. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we see is that a brand will say like, hey, yeah, I ran this back to school campaign that was all about cause. And like my brand didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that was a wonderful one-time cause, but you need your company inside and out to be committed to that issue. And then you need to prove it. And one campaign doesn't prove it as much as it needs to be. So just going back uh, quickly to uh, volunteering uh, being a, a, a goal and volunteering being something that engages Gen Z, do you find that the need for a physical activity skews your audience towards volunteering. Interesting. No, I don't. So for instance, um, a few years ago, uh, President Trump tweeted about DACA, uh, which is essentially whether dreamers, folks who were brought to this country when they were children, um, but are undocumented can stay here. And Do Something is a nonpartisan organization. We don't endorse candidates. We, we don't even sort of uh, really take a stand against what the president is doing. But we know that a lot of our members uh, are Latino, a lot of our members are dreamers, and a lot of our members, regardless of their race, really care about DACA and a path to citizenship. So Trump tweeted about the uh, end of DACA, and we did a week of action called Defend Dreamers. And so you might think like, okay, that is pure advocacy. Like that either has to all be calling your congressman, there's no volunteerism piece. But we actually created that week of action for a very specific reason. One is... We want it to be specific about what you should do each day because choice leads to paralysis. We wanted to give people one task per day. Um, but second, we knew that people would find different actions, uh, different, differentially valuable to them. And one of the most important things for a young person taking action is that they feel like the action is valuable. And young people disagree on what is valuable to the space. So one day we had young people call their congressman. Another day we had young people talk to their parents about dreamers. Another day we had people do a volunteer action, make posters that say dreamers are welcome here and post them around your school so that all young people at your school feel welcome regardless of status. So as you can see, it was something that perhaps leads to an advocacy action, but we were able to create things that were digital, in real life, calling, some were advocacy, some were volunteer. And I think that mix made the campaign that much stronger. But again, especially because we did one cause, one call to action per day. So they knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing on any given day. And you communicate with them via text as well as email? Yes, text and email for that campaign. And the response was insane. We saw 98,000 young people sign up in 48 hours. Mm, I mean, wow. it was just... Uh, just incredible. And I think also, again, the variety of calls to action uh, really helped make that campaign a success. That, that, that sets us right up for kind of what do something might do about this this next election. Well, um, I know that you have had voter registration. Um, are you continuing to do that? And I know you want to be um, nonpartisan, um, but uh, is voter registration something that's really important that's happening this year? Yeah, so we did voter registration in 2018 for the first time ever. And I will say on the record that it was one of the hardest things we ever did. Why? Uh, Why even, was that? 
even with youth enthusiasm, sort of as the, at the highest levels in 25 plus years, conversion rates for voter registration are way lower than conversion rates for any other type of volunteer action. Okay. And so even though, again, young people are excited, it's not as popular as doing a homelessness campaign or doing a cancer campaign or a mental health campaign. That being said, we saw that we were pretty good at it. Uh, and we also put together sort of a lean, agile team that could move quickly, fail fast and make change. And that was critical, that it was just like, you want to try this, you have a hypothesis, go try to fail as quickly as possible and change. And so 2018 was our first time out of the gate. And in 2020, we will uh, we will be going much, much deeper into voter registration and voter turnout. And do you find that you've got a lot of partners, corporate partners who are saying, yes, I want to help? Absolutely not. So no, really? corporate partners are by and large not excited about voter registration. We see some companies stepping out in a really exciting way, like Levi's yeah. and Ben and Jerry's and Patagonia. Right. Um, but we don't see the excitement that we see around this issue as we do for our other issues. And so we're actually going to foundations and high net worth individuals to fund our work. Also, well, I guess uh, the the last question we wanted to touch on, just kind of looking at you know, your worldview, is that you know you're also the CEO of, of Do Something Strategic, the uh, consulting arm for Do Something. So can you explain a little bit about what that does and, and what you've learned and, and I guess how companies and nonprofits can use the work and the research that you, you all are doing there to more deeply engage with Gen Z? Yeah, so Do Something Strategic was founded back in 2013, I guess. Ooh, a long time. Uh, and it was founded with uh, a dual mission. One is we saw the increasing excitement that both brands and nonprofits had about engaging young people through purpose. And we knew that we could help them make better campaigns and run more effective um, campaigning strategies and help nonprofits who might be legacy nonprofits. And so they have an aging donor base. How can they reach this next generation? Um, and two, we saw potential for an earned income revenue stream for Do Something because 100% of the profits from Do Something Strategic go back to fund Do Something. And so we work with you know everyone from Nike, to Habitat for Humanity, to the Wilderness Society, to PwC on ways that they can create authentic relationships with the next generation um, and use the power of purpose. Oh, that's exciting. That's really, really great. What's the um, the biggest um, need that these corporations have besides understanding how to engage in an authentic way? What else do they need? Is it a communications? Is it how they communicate, how they activate their employees? What are you seeing? So I think it really depends on the company because we see a, a real um, a real difference depending on who you are. Some companies come to us and say, hey, we are all in on this. We are so excited. And this is the same for nonprofits. We need a strategy how, for how to reach young people because our strategies are working. We're trying it and it's not effective. So we clearly need to change something. But on the other side of the coin, we still do see companies and nonprofits especially saying, you know, I don't know if this next generation is the right generation. We hear that from nonprofits. It's like, we're not sure if we're ready to go after young people. We're going to stick with our, you know, sort of average donor of, of 65. And then on the company side, they know that they're in on young people, but they're not sure if they're in on purpose. Mm. You know, they say, we don't believe it. We, we don't believe that young people care about a company being purpose-driven. You know, we, that's really nice, but we don't know if it's actually going to drive sales. So I think depending on the company's orientation, 
we either have to do more sort of research and teaching work to prove that you must use purpose to engage this next generation or you won't be as effective. And then for others, it's more about the strategy. Let's take what you're doing right now and sort of do a brand audit um, and see where you might have some holes in what you're doing. And and most of your employees are, you, you call it your titles, I love it, chief old person. Mm-hmm. It should also be chief old and tall person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but most of your employees are under 30. Um, and so how do you, in terms of, I'm just curious on a management basis, how do you, is it a different way of working with them, getting their voice? You know, how do you lead them? So I have an incredible team of uh, mostly young and not so young uh, people here at Do Something. And I think one of the, the, the best things that we do is, and we could always do it better, is that we are sort of in proximity to young people as often as we can, both from like a quantitative and qualitative point of view. So what I mean is that we have paid college interns in our office at all times. Um, you know, we are constantly trying to learn about this generation. We have a Slack channel called 10 at 10, where people just constantly post articles, news stories, research papers on this next generation. Um, and so we're, we're always learning about who they are. And, and to your point, I'm not Gen Z. Uh, I'm, I'm barely a millennial. So I think it has less to do with me leading and more to do with how do we surface, um, surface the best ideas. Now, do you share that Slack channel? Is it open to anybody? Is it just in your universe and with your uh, partner companies? It is actually just with Do Something internally, but it is something that we actually suggest um, as part of our brand audit when we're talking to other folks of what's a way that you can just become immersed um, in the lives of of young people. I also see that online in your community, you have a lot of great content. You have great articles dealing with all sorts of social issues. Um, You know, how have you found, uh, first of all, I've heard that, well, Gen Z don't read, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't seem the case. And so, you know, what's your experience in terms of the educational side of your members? The educational piece is actually critical to us because one of the sort of top phrases that our members say about us is that we are um, a trusted resource. And we often find that when, you know, a, a terrible shooting has just occurred, we'll text out to our members and tell them like, this is what's happening. This is the misinformation. Here's what to know. And they say that we're breaking news for them. You know, they're finding out about these things from us first. And so I think we help them, you know, make sense of things. Um, and I have to admit, even even me, I consider myself sort of like the causiest, most uh, of of the moment cause person out there. But I learn from my staff. I mean, we have such a sort of diverse in every way staff that uh, it's wonderful to hear different people's perspectives on what's going on. And so hopefully we can bring those diverse perspectives um, to our membership. You also have your annual event, which I've been at some, you know, sometimes I'm not in town. Um, um, You know, how have you found that as a mechanism to educate both your staff, your members, corporate partners? So that's been effective for us because it's also a time when we get to let our staff shine. I mean, I am on this podcast with you and I'm the CEO, but 
our, our, our campaigners who are doing like the everyday work on the front lines, you know, they're twice as good as I am. They know what's going on, you know, 10 acts that I do. And so I loved that, for instance, at our youth engagement summit this year, you know, it was our civic action lead who is maybe 20, who was giving, you know, the keynote and the, you know, moderator of the whole day was our incredible campaigns manager, who again is like 26, but she's awesome. So she was leading the day. Um, and we didn't choose them because they were young. We just chose them because they were the best people who knew the content the best and could lead the day. And so I think that's the key for anything. When you're not choosing people just because they're the youngest, you're choosing people just because they're the best. And you happen to have this sort of diverse squad of folks to choose from. How large is your team right now? We're about 70 full-time and then um, part-time paid college interns. And then how many in, in Do Something Strategic? Oh, that includes Do Something Strategic. Okay. Do Something Strategic is about 11 right now. So now we're going to put you on the spot, but you can name many names. Um, what, <laughs> what, what companies do you think are doing the best job of engaging Gen Z? Yes, I think this is such a hard question because so many, very few brands are actually targeting Gen Z in particular, which of course I think is a mistake um, because uh, they're they're going to have the purchasing power like with a blink of an eye. And I think people are still uh, relying on millennials too much. But certainly the names that come to the front when we hear from young people, sort of their their favorite brands mm-hmm. or the brands that are speaking to them the most are brands that actually talk about inclusivity um, and also climate change. So Fenty by Rihanna, um, again, a very sort of inclusive look at the beauty industry. Same thing with Universal Standard. It's an inclusive look at sizing. We can be for all people and everyone. Um, I think Lush does a great job on the climate side. So I do think that we see that... Um, Brands that have articulated a strong purpose do have those um, do have those sort of avid followers who are going to be advocates um, for them for the long term. So we often have, you know, clients who say, "Well, I want to reach millennials and Gen Z, or the older Gen Zs." Is it possible to do a really good job in one focused cause area to appeal to both? The range of ages is very broad. I think absolutely. I mean, listen, I think actually the message is the same. The message is also often the same, whether you're reaching out to someone who's 20 or 70. It's just sort of the media that's different. And so you're going to have the same messaging and the same strategy. You're just going to use a different channel. So whereas you might be using TikTok to reach the teen demographic, okay, great. You'll use Reddit to reach millennials and then you'll use, you know, NPR to reach uh, reach the <laughs> older folks. Um, <laughs> great. Okay. Uh, and me, to be clear. Um, so I, I do think you absolutely can reach both. Um, you just have to be honest about sort of what you're doing and what your targets are and what channels you should you should be using. And let's talk about measurement. Um, obviously, you've said, you know, companies are like, well, we ran the campaign and sales, you know, didn't increase. Are there is net promoter scores or is there social engagement? Is there growing the community? Are you asked? I assume you are um, for both do something and do something strategic. You're asked to engage in measurement. So what are the most effective measures that an organization, a corporate can use? Well, I think the exciting thing is for a lot of our partners on the do something side, the metrics that they put in place are all around impact and cost because they know if those 
metrics do well, then the rest is taken care of. It's like, if we can authentically make an impact, we're good. You know, Harry's told us, we want to know how many men are being reached for this mental health campaign and getting the resources they need. It's like, that's awesome. Like our, our thoughts are aligned. Um, from a short-term perspective though, you're absolutely right. It's like net promoter score, brand affinity, awareness, and association of that brand with a cause is what we use in the short term. But I think you're going to see the long term being more critical. We, you know, a lot of brands have said this. It's like, we're not creating purpose or creating these campaigns for the consumers of today. We're creating these campaigns for the consumers of five years from now. And so, you know, your short term results might be okay without it, but you're going to wonder why in five years you have lost the, um, you know, you've lost the trust of this generation. And so I think that is one thing that's really key. And I'll just say for anyone, I mean, I just saw uh, Mark Pritchard down at Social Capital speak and the numbers that he shared about how his brands jumped in terms of sales and consumer sentiment after embracing purpose, embracing diversity in an authentic way, like actually getting more people of color onto their teams and actually creating better policies for women and sort of actually doing that hard work. Um, I mean, his numbers speak for themselves. And so I, I do think a brand can also see real numbers in form of, uh, you know, their P&L looking better tomorrow than it did today. I'm glad you brought it back to your economics degree at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Always. Well, the, I mean, not to be too much of a Mark Pritchard fangirl, but the other thing he said that I thought was so critical was if a company gives to a nonprofit and gets nothing in return, that's philanthropy. And philanthropy is wonderful. And every company, I'm paraphrasing now, so don't quote me, every company should be doing it. Absolutely. But you can only do so much philanthropy as a company. If you are giving to a nonprofit or partnering with a nonprofit and your brand is getting a lift or you're seeing more sales, that's business strategy. And you will do that till the cows come home. And so ultimately, it's better for everyone if you can align your purpose with your business strategy, because then the nonprofits get more. Uh, and I love that because I want nonprofits to get the most. You know, we talked about channels and we talked about measurement. And then just at the end there, you, you gave me a different idea that it's it's less about the raw engagement and more about starting a conversation and kind of building an audience over time. Is is that does that resonate with Gen Z? Are they looking for long term relationships with brands, or are they or are they caught up in fads and things in the moment? Right, that's the rap against them. I would say that that rap against them is not borne out in the data. Period. Uh, you know, people say that like Gen Z and millennials change jobs like every day when other people, it's like, no, actually the data doesn't really show that they're much more of a job hopper than previous generations. You know, everyone says that they're, you know, not reading. It's like the data doesn't, it doesn't bear those things out. So I would say, you know, show me the receipts uh, and then <laughs> I'll, uh, then I'll say, okay, Gen Z is not loyal. Um, I think they are loyal, but they also want something more than previous people did. It, it takes more to get their loyalty. Uh, and so, yeah, you got to fight harder for it. Okay, so what's the next generation going to be like after Gen Z? Oh, gosh. I was going to say I don't know at all, but I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home. <laughs> yeah, you do. We're, we're <laughs> starting on double tall. A, right? Isn't that it? I mean, How, is it like, yeah, God only knows. Going. There are going to be so many just horrid uh, monikers that people are going to be trying to coin over the next 10 years. Um, I am not here for it. Uh, but I just think it, and I'm hoping, and, and I'm a positive gal, I'm just hoping it keeps getting better 
and better. If we can give more people voices, if, you know, it all comes back actually to consumer power because businesses will only change so much. They respond to consumers and they respond to employees. So we as citizens, whether that's consumers or employees, need to make our voices heard. And that's how we will get companies to change. Um, Otherwise, companies won't do the hard work. It's not in their best interest. Uh, Before we go, I'm curious about what company or companies are doing a great job with their employees in your eyes related to Gen Z, but it's an in more of an internal activation than an external. Sure. So, I mean, two, two companies that come to mind immediately. Um, one is Starbucks. So for young people overall, the biggest pain point they have, their biggest fear is about paying for college. Um, and so you'd think about student debt. Student debt is obviously critical, um, but paying for college um, sort of comes before that and, uh, and animates even more folks than the number who are in debt. And so Starbucks program, you know, they said they didn't do it to increase retention or they didn't do it to have a business gain, but that they saw business gains come from their policy of um, digital uh, online college for their employees. And so I think that's pretty critical. Um, and I think the other company, and this is probably a little past Gen Z, um, but not much um, because, you know, people in the U.S. have, have, have babies at, you know, 20, 25, 26, 27, 28, um, and some, some certainly earlier is Levi's new um, policy on parental leave uh, that extends to retail workers. Um, and I think young people are discerning and they're going to start, you know, they're going to start understanding what uh, different companies are providing to their corporate employees versus their retail employees um, and demanding something equitable. You've given us a tremendous amount of insights in terms of companies and brands working with Gen Z, what Gen Z is looking for. If you are going to be at a conference that has really, they're the newbies to purpose, what would you say are the first three most important things they should think about before they start on a Gen Z relationship journey? When you're thinking about this generation, and again, I think it applies more broadly but I think it's especially important with young people is that you typically think of either um, like Emma Gonzalez and Little Miss Flint and the amazing young people, or you think of like, I eat Cheetos and I take selfies. Um, And so what I like to say is number one, you need to remember that young people are high low. We had our members uh, at a a Newark high school do a voter registration drive yesterday. Mm -hmm. It was um, interrupted by a proposal. Awesome. Let's talk voter reg and let's talk promposals. High, low can exist within Mm -hmm. the same community. Um, Number two is data, data, data. We are all making incorrect assumptions based on like our niece who lives in Rye. And it's just like, no, no matter how many young people you talk about that are part of Gen Z, great. Use that to color the quantitative data you get because the data is so important and will get you out of your bubble. And number three, I would just say, as I said before, think about serving them. You will serve yourself a hundred times better if your first thought is, how do I serve them? Because Greta Thunberg is amazing um, and she's had a huge impact on the entire globe, especially to a lot of old people. Um, What can we as listeners learn from her considering she is a Gen Z and older? Uh, Gen Z. And, you know, are we going to see more Greta's? Well, if Do Something has anything to say about it, you will, because uh, we're cooking something up. Um, and, and not to end actually on a negative note, but I think there's two important things to learn about Greta. Um, one is that 
she did have a certain amount of privilege for this to happen. And I think, you know, we need to think of all of the times, Parkland is a great example, when all of a sudden, you know, white kids were speaking up about an issue and people were listening. And, you know, black kids and kids of color had been talking about the same issue for a long time and not getting the same airspace. So let's just be really careful about the young people we lift up. Let's continue to lift up Greta because she's amazing. But let's also lift up Mari Copney, Little Miss Flint, and Naomi Wadler, who's fighting for uh, gun violence rights and all those other things. Um, and the second thing I will say is that our whole culture has a, has a little bit of a problem with hero worship. <laughs> yeah. um, and, uh, and, and I think it's great. Let's just leave room in what we're doing for folks who are doing what they can. I think we don't want perfect to be the enemy of good. And I think Greta actually does a great job on this. You know, she says like, yeah, I don't fly and I don't eat meat and I don't do this. But if you're just getting better, if you're taking five flights instead of 10, awesome. If you're just doing meatless Mondays, awesome. If you're, let's let people into our big tent, um, as opposed to saying that if you're not perfect, you're not welcome, because uh, we'll never win that way. Uh, so we have to have a big tent to let people improve with us and eventually get to that, um, you know, that better or ideal state. I think there was a wonderful quote on your website from a 19 year old member. And, you know, she said it starts with representation, seeing someone that looks like you doing what you do can cause a spark of inspiration that lasts a lifetime. Aria Finger, you are just such an inspiration for young people today, for old people like me and Chris, uh, because you've, you know, you took your economics degree, you, you know, you took a flyer, you didn't stop till you got a job, and you stayed with an organization for over 14 years in a variety of jobs. And I won't hold it against you because you're really tall, um, <laughs> but she's absolutely, Aria shares so much um, she's a very generous person. She's also a mom, so she balances things. And so Chris and I and our listeners at Purpose 360, we want to thank you for this fabulous and engaging conversation. And we'd like to end with the question for our listeners. What is your purpose? If you want to connect with me, um, I'm going to be speaking at the U.S. News and World Report inaugural Community Health Leadership Forum on April 7th. I'm in Washington, D.C. This event will bring together community development leaders, policymakers, corporate social responsibility officers, public health officials, hospital and health system executives, and others dedicated to advancing effective solutions for building healthier communities and addressing the social determinants of health. If you'd like to attend, we have a special 30% discount on registration at usnews.com slash chlf. That's u-s-news.com slash c-h-l-f. I hope to see you there. It's going to be a phenomenal conversation. Great speakers. And um, I look forward to uh, your feedback. Thanks. <laughs>